Okay, again, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Amos, the book of Amos, and we'll be in chapter number six tonight, Amos chapter number six. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that uh, it, for some people it might be a career-threatening move to study verse by verse through the minor prophets because uh, there's a lot of depressing material uh, in these uh, books that we'll be looking at, the books that we've already looked at, and it's easy to scare away a crowd because uh, some of this stuff is, is uh, really, really depressing. But it's also very applicable to our time because... You know, if we're honest with ourselves and we look around at our nation and we look around at the world, we're living in very similar days. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing new under the sun, Solomon said. There's always been evil. But it seems that, that there's this, these peaks and valleys in, in, uh, in the life of a nation. And, and I would say right now we're really in a valley. And, and uh, so, so this stuff is applicable that we're looking at. Uh, and the chapter we're going to look at uh, tonight is no exception because you look at chapter number six and how does it begin? What's the word there? Woe. Woe. Whenever you see woe, that's not good news. Uh, woe in the Bible means stop, look, and listen. There's grave danger ahead. Uh, you're about to go off a cliff. So when you see woe, when God says woe, he's very serious about that and and uh, you know that if you're, you're, you see that, trouble's ahead. Uh, because this is such tough material, I try to do everything I can to, to make it interesting and throw some, throw some humor in every once in a while. And I, I, I got good news for you tonight because I was going through one particular commentary and he had a really good joke about woe. So I'm going to start it off with a joke to kind of lighten things up. But there was, there was this man who... who uh, bought himself his beautiful black horse. And uh, he asked the seller to give him instructions for riding the horse. And the seller says, hey, all you got to do is say, praise the Lord, and that horse is going to take off. And I mean, he's going to take off running. And uh, he's, the man says, and then I say, whoa, whoa, to get him to stop. And the man said, no, to get him to stop, you have to say, amen. And so the guy took the horse out for a, uh, test ride, and he was out riding a horse, and, and he said, well, he started out, he said, praise the Lord. As soon as he said, praise the Lord, I mean, that horse took off like a rocket. And I mean, he was going just as fast as he could, and he was riding on it. He said, man, this is the greatest horse I've ever ridden. But then all of a sudden, he realized that the horse was heading toward a cliff. And so he had to stop the horse, so he yelled, whoa, whoa, whoa. Well, the horse wouldn't stop, and he was thinking, man, that guy told me what to say. He gave me some kind of religious word. He said, let, well, let me see, let me see, uh, uh, glory, and the horse wouldn't stop. And he said, uh, hallelujah, and the horse wouldn't stop. And he said, man, I'm about to go off this cliff. He said, the only thing I can do is pray. And so he said, Father, please uh, uh, stop this horse from going off the cliff. And he said, in Jesus' name, amen. And boom, the horse stopped, and he was right on the edge of the cliff. And he was so relieved, all he could say was, praise the Lord. <laughs> Nick, explain that to Roy, will you? 
But explain it to Nikki. I don't think she got it. Well, there's an application there because the prophets in this time, at this time, and in these days that we're looking at in the minor prophets, they were screaming to the northern kingdom and to the southern kingdom, whoa, whoa, stop, look, listen, you're in grave danger. You're about to go off a cliff in the judgment, and so uh, you better listen. But were they listening? No, they weren't listening at all, and so their destruction was really uh, drawing near. And so the prophet says, the prophet Amos says in verse number 1 of chapter 6, he says, Woe to you who are at ease in Zion. And when he speaks of Zion, what is he speaking of there? He's speaking of the city of Jerusalem. So here he's talking to the southern kingdom. He's going to start out talking to the southern kingdom, and then he's going to go back to his main topic, which is the northern kingdom. Uh, Amos spoke this prophecy to the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom wasn't off the hook. They were going down basically the same path as the northern kingdom, and so their judgment was coming too. It was going to come a few hundred years later after the judgment of the northern kingdom. But he wants to remind the southern king, hey, don't, you know, don't look at the northern kingdom and point your finger at them because you've you got, the, you got problems coming too. He says, woe to you who are in Zion and trust in Mount Samaria. In other words, you actually place your trust to some degree in the fate of the northern kingdom. Because the northern kingdom was like a buffer from all these major empires that were uh, geographically located above the northern kingdom. The, the Samaria, uh, the, I mean, yeah, the Samaria acted, as, the northern kingdom acted as sort of a buffer for Judah, for the southern kingdom. It would be kind of like the buffer we have with Russia, uh, with Canada north of us. But if all of a sudden Canada got overrun by the Russians, then we wouldn't have that buffer anymore. And that's what he's saying here. Woe to you who are at ease in Zion because you think, well, you know, the northern kingdom is going to go before we go. And, and uh, yeah, look at them, how bad they are. But, but uh, he says, woe to you who trust in Mount Samaria. And the seat, the Mount Samaria was the seat of the military and government of the, of the northern kingdom. He says, notable persons in the chief nation to whom the house of Israel comes. So he says, he says to Zion, hey, you're next, so woe to you too. And then he goes back to talking about the northern kingdom. He says, go over to Kalna near Nineveh and see. And from there, I'm in verse number two. And from there go to Hamath, the great, the, the great it's a city in Syria. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Are you better than these kingdoms? Or is their territory greater than your territory? In other words, look around at all these nations, all these pagan nations, and you've reached a point morally where you're just about as bad as they are. And your military is no stronger than their military. So look what I've done to these other nations, the disaster I've brought upon them, and you can see that, uh, you know, that same disaster will happen to you if you don't repent. Now, you know, I stop and I look at this and I ask the question, if God would judge Israel, the apple of his eye, 
You think maybe he would judge any other nation that went down a similar path? You think maybe he might judge the United States of America at some point? You better believe. I mean, I, I mean, I hope, hopefully we're going to have a revival and we're not going to face any kind of judgment like this. But, man, I tell you what, you read these minor prophets and it almost reads like reading the newspaper. The evil in this country today is, is every bit as bad as it was in Israel when God judged Israel. And Israel was the apple of God's eye and he judged them and he almost wiped them out. Now, there's some good news coming here, but, but uh, it is kind of a scary situation when you look at our world today. Verse number three says, woe. Again, he uses that word, woe. Woe to you who put far off the day of doom. In other words, stop, look, and listen. The day of doom is probably a lot closer than you think it is. You need to prepare. Remember what he said back in the last chapter? Prepare to meet your God. Or he said back in chapter 4, actually. Prepare to meet your God. And he goes on, he says, you who cause the seed of violence to come near. In other words, you're actually, you're actually causing the day of judgment to come even sooner by your evil ways. And so you're actually uh, uh, speeding up or hasting the day of your own violent judgment because of your immorality and your idolatry. And then he kind of describes the rich here and how they were, you know, they didn't think the day of doom was coming anytime soon because everything was great for them. He says, woe you who lie on beds of ivory, verse number four. You stretch out on your couches. You eat lambs from the flock and calves from the midst of the stall. In other words, you've got the best of everything. If you, if you look at the artwork from, uh, ancient, from those ancient cultures, whatever they ate, the rich ate, they didn't eat uh, sitting up at a dinner dining table like we do. They reclined and ate. They actually laid back and their servants came and, and actually dropped the grapes in their mouth and fed them. And, and they were the epitome of, of, of life at ease. But, hey, woe to you. He says, you who lie on these beds of ivory. You, verse number five, who sing idly to the sound of stringed instruments and invent for yourself musical instruments like David. You got all sorts of new musical instruments. Here's the problem, though. What's the difference between these people Amos is speaking of and David? David invented his instruments to praise the Lord. But he says, you sing idly. Now, you could say two idols, or really to yourselves. In other words, you invent music instruments not so you can praise the Lord, but so you can entertain yourself. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? We got all sorts of instruments today. And there's nothing wrong with the entertainment, and, I'm, and, and I don't think Amos was saying that at all, but when, when God's just left out totally out of the picture and our talents that are, and, and aren't used to praise God, then there's, you know, there's danger there. He says in verse number six, you who drink wine from bowls. Now, what's the picture there? You don't just drink wine. You, you're, you're, a drunk, you're drunkards and you're gluttons. And you anoint yourselves with the best ointments. But all along while you're enjoying your wine and, and, and uh, anointing yourself with all these fine perfumes and ointments and oils, you've, you've not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Again, that when you see Joseph in this text, he's referring to Ephraim, the northern kingdom, is 
Ephraim, and uh, the, the, that was one of Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. Manasseh was over on the other side of the Jordan, and Ephraim pretty much made up most of the northern kingdom. And so he says, but, you, but you're not grieved for what's going on in Ephraim. You're, you're, you, you drink from your bowls, and, yet you don't, and you, you're making all this money, and you're having all this prosperity, but you're not grieved for, for the immorality in, in, in Ephraim. You're not grieved for the fact that the righteous are being oppressed. You're not grieved by the fact that the poor are getting poorer. And so God holds them accountable. Then in verse number 7, he says, Therefore they shall now go captive at the first, as, as the first of the captives. In other words, those who seem to have it made are going to be the first to go. And those who recline in banquets shall be removed. All that's going to end. All that, uh, uh, all the parties and all the fun and all the things that, that are going on that, that are, that are uh, secular and godless, uh, it's going to all be removed. And then the Lord makes a statement here. He says, the Lord God has sworn by himself. Or Amos makes a statement about the Lord. Now, when the Lord swears by himself, that means it's going to happen. The Lord God of hosts, the God of Sabaoth, the one who's in charge of, over all the armies, over all the host of heaven, over all the host of the nations. Listen to what he says. He said, I abhor the pride of Jacob and hate his palaces. That's interesting. He calls Israel Jacob. He says, therefore, I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. He's speaking of Samaria. You remember when Jacob was born, God put it on Rebekah's heart to give him that name Jacob. Why? Because he was grabbing Esau's hill on the way out, and he was, it really means, it literally means hill catcher, which also means deceiver. It became known, it became known to mean uh, deceiver. Uh, in our modern-day vernacular, you could say wheeler-dealer, this really shrewd, selfish businessman. That's what uh, Jacob was, and that's what the Israelites were at this point. And then you remember, he, Jacob had the name Jacob, but he wrestled with God at Peniel, and he won. He prevailed over God. God took out part of his leg, and crippled him, and then he gave him a new name. And what was that name? It was Israel, Prince with God. And then if you kind of follow the text, most of the time in the text thereafter, after his, his battle with God at Peniel, and when he finally really submitted to God, it, when he's acting selfish and shrewd and, de, and he's deceiving people, God call, speaks of him as Jacob. And then the Bible speaks of him as Israel when he's acting uh, godly, when he's acting righteously. Uh, he, when he, I would put it this way, when he's walking in the flesh, you can kind of tell it. He's called Jacob. When he's walking in the spirit, he's called Israel, which means prince with God. And so God says, I hate the pride of Jacob. That's what I hated about Jacob. That's really interesting because it says the, in the Bible, it also says Esau, I have, I, Jacob, I have loved and Esau, I have hated. So he loved Jacob. God loved Jacob, but he didn't like the evil part of Jacob. He loved Jacob when Jacob became who? When he became Israel. 
And so he says, I hate his palaces because the palaces aren't built unto the Lord and, and the palaces are, are built because of uh, his pride. Therefore, I will deliver up the city and all that is in it. And so judgment is coming. Uh, Israel at this point was acting like Jacob. Uh, they were a bunch of deceivers, a bunch of wheeler dealers. And the wealthy were prideful and selfish, and they were prospering at the expense of the poor. And so God says, your end is coming. Judgment is at hand. Verse number 9 and 10. It says, then it shall come to pass that if 10 men remain in one house, they shall die. And when a relative of the dead with, and when a relative of the dead with one who will burn the bodies picks up the bodies to take them out of the house, he will say to the relative inside the house, are there any more with you? And the relative will say, none. And then the, the guy who's there to burn the bodies will say, hold your tongue, for we dare not mention the name of the Lord. In other words, if the Lord finds out there's any more of you here, He's going to come get you, so you dare not. They had a low view of the, the omnipresence of the Lord. Of course, the Lord saw who was there, and he was going to get who he was going to get. But it's going to get so bad that you, nobody's going to want to call upon the Lord. In fact, they don't even want to hear about the Lord. They don't, want even, they don't want the Lord to know where they're at because they're afraid the Lord's going to destroy them like he's destroyed everybody else. Then in verse number 11, it says, For behold, the Lord gives a command. He will break the grace great house into bits and the little house into pieces. So what he's saying when, when the Assyrians came down or what he's prophesying is the fact when the Assyrians came down, they didn't just destroy the palaces. They didn't destroy the ivory towers only. They destroyed everything. If you lived in a middle class neighborhood, it was destroyed. Uh, the little, if you lived in a shack, it was destroyed. They burned down the city and so Everybody was going to be affected by this judgment. Except those who the Lord protected through this judgment. Because you remember back in the last chapter when he says to Israel, seek the Lord and live. And that's after he's pronounced the judgment. So he's saying, hey, if you seek the Lord, you'll escape this judgment and, you'll, and you will live. Verse number 12, the horses run on rocks. What's the answer to that? No, not in an ancient culture like that because they would tear their feet up so they would not run on rocks. We shoe horses today, and, and I don't know if they did that back then, but even then you don't, you don't take a horse and run it on rocks because even if they have shoes, you're going you're gonna to harm that horse. Does one plow on rocks with oxen? No, what good does it do to plow rock? When you plow a rock, you, you, you're not going to grow anything even if you can plow the rocks up, which you can't do. You're just going to tear your plow up. Yet you have turned justice into gall, into poison. And you've turned the sweet fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Wormwood means bitterness. It's a, a word for bitterness. It's a plant that was very bitter. And so uh, what he's saying here, this nation this nation's become hard become cold. It's become hard morally and judiciously. 
And, 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 and it's a, it, had become, it had come to a point where it was impossible for the poor to, 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 get, to find justice uh, or for the righteous to find justice. And uh, the, whole, the judicial system was like a piece of rock. And the Lord says, hey, you know, repent. And, and, you know, check your heart out. Guard your hearts. Verse number 13. You who rejoice over Lodabar, who say, have we not taken Carnaim for ourselves by our own strength? Now, those are two places. If you get on an ancient, it looked at an ancient map, you would not find them on the map. Lodabar means the place of nothing. Carnaim was a little town that, that uh, I'm trying to give you a comparison around here, kind of like Sunset, where, where we live. I mean, a really little bitty town. Sunset's getting bigger now, but uh, uh, back a few years ago, that wasn't so. But he says, woe to you who rejoice over your victory over the place of nothing, Lodabar, who say we have taken Carman for ourselves by our own strength. In other words, here was Jeroboam. He had this mighty army, maybe the mightiest army the northern kingdom had ever, ever had. And so he went out and he started expanding their borders, and he had some military victories. And he had a victory over Lodabar. And he had a victory over Carnium. And, all everybody, and everybody was thinking, wow, man, we've got a mighty army. We can really, we can really beat these little guys up. Uh, but uh, they weren't going to do that to the Assyrians. And that's why he says, hey, you rejoice, you who rejoice over Lodabar, who say, have we not taken Carmen for our own, our own strength? You better look out. Because you're not going to do that to the Assyrians. And then he says in, in verse number 14, the final verse, he says, But behold, I will raise up a nation against you, O house of Israel, says the Lord of hosts. He's talking about the Assyrians. And they will afflict you from the entrance of Hamath in Syria to the valley of Arabah over in the Jordan on the east side. And so they're going to, they're going to come down from the north and the east and they're going to destroy from, your, from the Syrian border and the eastern border in Jordan, and they're going to destroy the nation of Israel. It's coming. It's all set. Great news, right? You know, one thing we can count on in the United States is we've got a mighty military. A lot of people trust in our government. A lot of people trust in our military, and our military has shown its might in a couple of battles, uh, a couple of wars in recent times. We really beat up Iraq really bad. We really beat up Afghanistan really bad. But I think maybe in God's eyes, Iraq is like Lodabar, and Afghanistan is kind of like, what's the last, Carnium. They really not they really not known for having a mighty military. Now Iraq had a very large military. But I can tell you this right now, if God wants to judge this nation, the United States will not fare so well against Russia or against the Chinese. I mean, they're more like the Assyrians. I thank goodness we have a president today that sees that. And is going to try to build our military up where we can stand. We could stand in a battle with these people. But just because we have some victories over some small little countries doesn't mean we're 
we're okay. Where do we need to look for our help? From the Lord. We need to look for our protection from the Lord. And I, I think the Lord, I mean, if things don't turn around in the United States of America, I think the, I think the Lord is saying to us, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stop. Look and listen. The day of doom might be coming sooner than we think. Judgment might be at hand. I mean, you see a Russian spy ship sitting off the coast of Delaware. Did y'all see that this week? You see the China threatening to go to war with us? North Korea. I mean, you look at all this stuff. And sure, I think we could beat up North Korea pretty easy. But you look at the enemies that the United States has, and we better not be relying on our military. We better be turning to the Lord and relying on the Lord. And if we don't, I mean, let me just read that. The, the part about the idol, the, making instruments for idol music, for, to, to, to idols, to, 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 for, for only entertainment. And just, I mean, we have some great musicians here serving the Lord. I think that's great. And I, I, I love even secular music. But, but you just look at what most of the efforts in the United States go to. Now, it doesn't go to serving the Lord or praising the Lord. It goes toward idolatry. And so, I mean, I think the Lord would say to us, whoa, whoa, whoa. And, and, and if Israel had repented, they would have been fine. And if we repent, we'll be fine. But if we don't, the day of doom might be a lot sooner than we think. But woe to those who long for the day of the Lord. I don't long for the day of the Lord. I don't long, and that's, in, that, in this context, it's the day of his judgment. I don't long for the Lord to judge this nation. I mean, so when you hear all this talk of judgment, how does it touch your heart? I mean, it, it, I mean, I, I think I used to have the, the heart, and I don't know why after getting, being saved out of the mess I was in, but my heart used to be, man, get them. Judge them, Lord, get them. Get those unbelievers, get those pagans. But I'm reminded quite often by the Lord that except by his grace, I'm no better than these Israelites that were about to be judged here in this day that we're looking at in this text. You know, what it makes me do or want to do when I study a book like Amos, is to seek the Lord and live. To seek the Lord even more. Because, hey, man, the day of doom might be sooner than we think. And not only to seek the Lord so I live, but seek ways I can serve the Lord so I can have a part in turning this nation back to the Lord. I don't know if this nation is going to turn back to the Lord but I want to be doing what I can to make that, my, in my little sphere of this country, make that happen. And you want to be doing that too. It, and I'll tell you what else it makes me do. I mean, all the scary things in this world, all the evil in this world make me run to the Lord, to Jesus Christ. And to the cross. 
and know it's at the cross where I find my hope. As John says in 2 John, where I find grace, mercy, and peace. The worse, the darker the world gets, the closer I want to be to the cross. The more I want to seek the Lord, the more I want to find grace, mercy, and peace. And that's the only place where I can escape the wrath to come. It's the only place. And it's coming. It's coming. It's coming on every unbeliever at some point. Every person who does not know Christ will face the wrath of God at some point. And so seek the Lord Jehovah Jesus Christ Almighty God and live. That's what the prophets are saying. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that we do have a city of refuge that we can come to, a place where we can, we can escape the coming wrath, Lord, the, the wrath that we all deserve. Lord, we can come to the cross and we can come to Christ. We can come to you, Lord, and we can find peace and grace and mercy in your arms. And, Lord, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none of us. There's no wrath anymore for those who have been born again. Lord, we just thank you for that great promise. And, Lord, do help us to to be empowered, to be a witness in this very, very dark time in which we live. Help us to quit judging people, Lord, and be the ministers of reconciliation that you've called us to be. Give us that grace, Lord. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.